Please take your Bibles and turn. I'm excited about this study. I, I don't think there's ever been a study I haven't been excited about. <laughs> so, uh, because it's God's word, amen? Revelation chapter 22. We are in the last chapter. Uh, we're actually doing a little bit of a devotional thing now that we've looked at the theology of Revelation 22, the first few verses. We've, we're, we got on a little thing where he talks about the river of life which is really a big thing, but I'm talking about a little series that we're doing. Uh, he talks about the river of life in New Jerusalem, which is our eternal home, amen? Verse one, then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And we talked about that, and it says, in the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, indicating that there's far more than one, uh, it's a species, the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. We looked at that in quite a bit of depth, uh, but what we did last week was we talked about how the river of life is coming literally from God's throne. And it's going to be incredibly beautiful. And the tree of life with all these different flavors and several different trees. And Ezekiel, which foreshadows this, talks about there being different kinds of trees. So it may be that tree of life has, there's different types of the tree of life. And then each one has 12 different kinds of fruit each month. Mind-blowing. But we also talked about how this is also tied into Jesus. And it comes from the Father and from the Lamb. The Lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the water of life coming from Father, coming from the Son. And I talked to you about how important it is to understand this because that's what's happening right now in this world. Jesus is ultimately the tree of life. His cross is the tree of life. We look to the cross and we have what? Eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen. And praise God. What came out of Jesus when they crucified him on the cross? Water and blood. A water is a picture of the Spirit of God. The blood is for our cleansing. It's through his cross that we become cleansed of our sins so we can be right with God, amen? And it's through his cross that he brings forth the power of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God to live in us. Remember, he said, stop clinging to me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. Uh, nobody had been to heaven yet. Nobody could go to heaven and no one had been there. It says no one ascended but the Son. But Jesus did, but we couldn't go to heaven and God couldn't live in us in a very special way like he did before the fall. But after he rose from the dead, he breathed on his disciples, even though he had said prior to that, he said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but the Holy Spirit will be in you in a new way, amen? And at the same time, now we die to be absent from the body it is no longer to go to the underworld, which is what happened before the cross. There was east and west Hades, good and bad side of Hades. We've studied that in depth before. But now to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. That's really good news, amen? If you're trusting Jesus, man, if you die on the way home here, you have a heart attack, you get in a car accident, something strange happens, you know, you get food poisoning, you know, or whatever, and you die, you go to be with the Lord. We'll cry, we'll be sad, but we'll also be happy for you if you know Jesus, amen? But the amazing thing here is that the water of life comes through Jesus. And you remember, I won't go through everything, but we went into on the last day of the feast when Jesus cried out and says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me, amen? And drink, and it says, and the rivers will flow from their innermost being, amen? And it says he spoke of the Holy Spirit, amen? So the river of life is literal in heaven, 
but it's also spiritual for us now and will be spiritual for us eternity in experiencing the very presence of God. And you'll remember, to me, the most beautiful thing, and the river of life's gonna be amazing. The tree of life's gonna be amazing. The streets of gold are gonna be beautiful. Everything's shining so beautiful and all these colors refracting through New Jerusalem because it's made of like diamond type, sapphire type, all kinds of crazy stones. The sapphire was, or the diamond was the only one not mentioned, one of the few were not mentioned, the 12, but it still says, it's, it, it describes it as being translucent like a diamond in the city. And it's mind blowing, we'll have all that, but we'll be engulfed in the very presence of God where the light of New Jerusalem, was, you have no need of the sun, There'll be no more night there, but the light we will get will be literally sunshine, S-O-N, shine, amen, from the Father and the Son will be basking in the richness of his presence. There's been believers who have died, who've experienced when they've been literally brought back scientifically, this light that they've experienced that is this warmth, it's so intense, they can't, of beauty and peace, they can't even explain it. And whether those are all true experiences or not, some I'm sure are not, but there may be some truth to um, uh, some of those experiences. Now, it's quite, because biblically, we know what's true and we know what's coming. Now, this is what's amazing to me, is as we look at this, and Jesus, they, they partook of Jesus, then we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I talked about 10, not one, not five, not seven, 10 different types of fruit we read about in the New Testament. And we started off last week's message by John the Baptist talking about to the Pharisees, religious people who did not have a relationship with him and were rejecting him, that the ax is already laid to the foot of the tree, right? And that every tree without fruit will be cast into the fire, he said to them. And that Jesus said the same thing when he was talking about false prophets in Matthew, that's in Matthew 3, but in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus talked about how you'll know them by their fruit. And every tree that does not bear fruit, he said, we cast in the fire, same thing. In John 15, 6, Jesus said, if a branch does not remain in me, abide in me, he's broken off and withers or cut off and withers and is thrown in the fire and burned. Not a pretty fire, or not a pretty, I'm sorry, scene. <laughs> not a pretty fire either, okay? Because it's got apostates there. It's got those who've rejected Christ and so forth. So you want to make sure you have fruit in your life, that you are not a mere professing Christian, that you're not simply saying, oh, I'm a Christian, but you're not bearing any fruit for Jesus, so we looked at the 10 different types of fruit last week. And this, this week we look at how to bear fruit. And I'm excited because I had way too much because I continue to study, continue to pray and seek the Lord on this. And I'm like, I have way too much for this message, Lord. Help me get through it because I thought, no, I'm doing, I kept, Lord, I'm doing a part three now. There's, and, it's, and this will be one of the coolest series I think you'll ever experience because you'll be, this is how I bear fruit for God. This is how I get close to him. This is how I have intimacy with Jesus. This is how I, I apply this to my life practically and make sure that my life counts for Jesus. Amen. You want to make sure your life counts. Amen. I mean, can you imagine any of your life and didn't do anything that lasts for Jesus? No fruit. That's most people. That's many professing Christians. There are millions of people that opened, that went through church doors, came in, sat down in the pew, heard the word, they left. And as James says, we need to be doers. The word not hearers only deluding our own selves, amen? And they just delude themselves, you know? Maybe they do something one day a year for their church or something. And it's like, oh, look, man, I bore fruit. I did. No, man, he wants a daily relationship with you, Amen. He wants you to be bearing fruit, you know, and we'll bear different degrees of fruit, but there needs to be fruit in your life. The Bible says faith without works is dead, amen? 
Now, we're not saved by our works and we're not saved by our fruit, amen? We're saved by grace through faith, through trusting in Jesus. But if we're truly trusting in Jesus, amen, and we're abiding in Jesus, we will bear fruit. That will be the inevitable outcome of having a walk with Jesus. Are you with me so far? Okay, so this is very, very important. In fact, uh, we're talking about that river of life coming from the throne and bearing all that fruit. Well, there's the river of life coming from the lamb already because he's died for our sins so he could fill us with his spirit where he wants us to be connected to him. He wants our roots to sink deep into him so we can seek him and bear much fruit to his glory now. Now, I want you to turn to John chapter 15 because if I was only going to go to one passage, and we'll go to others as well because we're going to do uh, a more of a move around, jump around study next time. But if I was, the best chapter, I think, in the entire Bible about bearing fruit is John chapter 15. And it's so critical that you understand this for your own walk with Jesus and for your own spiritual growth. Father, please give us insight. Give us understanding. Give us unction. Give us desire. Give us empowerment to do your will. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, it's important to understand at this point, he's leaving Jerusalem. If you look at the last verse in the context of chapter 14, then you go to verse 31 of chapter 14, you see he and his disciples are leaving, okay? And as they go through, it's many scholars that believe and, you know, teachers, they're going through the court, you know, of the temple, and if they had been looking, which is very possible, very likely, very probable, they were looking at the holy place because that's what stood out when you're walking through the court. Above the curtain would be this huge, huge depiction of a, a vine with huge cluster of grapes. Josephus, the first century historian, lived the same century Jesus did. The, the Jewish historian in his antiquities said that this vine and the clusters was the size of a human being. It was just beautiful. But Jesus says something very interesting because he's already contrasting himself with the religious system that the Jews had basically reduced God's word to a system whereby many of them were seeking to make profit. That's why Jesus overturned the tables at the temple, not once, but twice, the beginning of his ministry and at the end. And they weren't bearing fruit and they were rejecting the Messiah. And they had all these messianic prophecies. And even Nicodemus says, we know that you're of God because no man could do these things unless God is with them. Speaking for him and the other Pharisees, they knew deep down who he was. But they said, Jesus said, they plotted against him and said, let us kill the son of the vineyard, right? And let's get the inheritance. Well, God used that to die for us, to pay for us so we could be branches in the vine. But it's in that backdrop very possibly when you can't be absolutely sure. Some write it as though this is exactly what happened. We don't know for sure. Uh, but it's very possible in that backdrop. Either way, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And he's contrasting himself with the religious system and what had happened to Israel in their apostasy. Because we see in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 21, he said that his people, or Jerusalem, would come into fiery judgment he says, listen to this, chapter 2, verse 21. I have planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? And then Isaiah chapter 1, the love song for his vineyard, the Lord says to Israel, he says, let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. 
He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. Look, this is a picture of God digging up the ground, pointing, you know, uh, putting the choicest vine in, right? And he says, and he built a tower in the middle of it, a watchtower to keep the animals out, the foxes that's, that, that, that creep in and destroy the vines as we read in the Song of Solomon. He built a tower in the middle of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it. That Then he expected to, to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, the Lord says. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? What more could I have done for my vineyard than I've done for it? I could only think of one thing more that the Lord could do because he did everything is that he could come and die for his people. And he did that too later, amen. What more could the Lord have done? Any of you who are wondering, does God love me? Will God save me? Hey, he says, what more could I have done? The choice is up to you to accept that grace. Amen. Accept that love. And then he says, goes on to say, why then I expected it to produce good grapes. Did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste and it will not be pruned or hoed. But briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. That's judgment in Jeremiah 2, in Isaiah chapter 5. And this is the backdrop of John chapter 6. Now these are very negative pictures of what's happened to Israel. In John 15, when you come to John 15, there's some negativity as far as the branches that don't bear fruit. But there is huge upside and very, it's very positive uh, for those who are abiding in Christ. So we can be very encouraged on how to bear more fruit. Now, it's interesting because he says, I'm the true vine, okay? He's the true vine. Salvation doesn't come from Israel. It comes from the Messiah who has promised Israel. And salvation is of the Jews, but then offered the Gentiles. And the whole early church was a Jewish church though, amen? Let's keep that in mind. When you, sometimes when people see that Israel rejects the Messiah, that's not the whole story. I was just witnessing to a Jewish guy last week or the week before last, and he told me he was Jewish because I started talking about Christ or talking him the gospel. And he's like, you know, he goes, well, now he didn't, sometimes they'll just say, well, you know, he said I'm Jewish in the context of you know, I'm Jewish, meaning I'm not really a Christian, of course, because I'm Jewish. And, I, and that's where I shared, you know, you know Jesus was Jewish, right? And their whole early church was Jewish, and every New Testament letter was written by Jews, except maybe the ones by Luke, Acts, and the book of Luke. And I said, the first church council in Acts chapter 15 was all about whether Goyim or the Gentiles could become part of the church, because it was all Jewish, Amen. And I let him know that there are all kinds of different sects in Judaism. They're Hellenists, you know, they're the Zealots, they're the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, you know, and Herodians. There are all kinds of different Jewish sects. It wasn't monolithic as we all believe this way and this is how the Jewish Christians believe. No, there were several. Well, who has it right? I think we've seen who has it right, amen? We've got the whole New, New and Old Testament and all the prophecies being fulfilled and the fact that Christ rose from the dead with all these witnesses. Now, it's interesting that when we come to Jesus, he's the true vine. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, right? Not Zoroaster, right? Not Manichae, not any of these, you know, Bhagwan, Rajneesh, whatever, you know, none of these guys. Jesus is the true vine. And here's the key, brothers and sisters, because there needs to be fruit in your life. If you're a true believer, there will be fruit in your life. But here's the major key 
that you dare not miss a simple two-syllable word, abide. Abide. Or one syllable, if you just translate it, stay. Abide, stay. Two syllables in the Greek, meno. The Greek word meno. It's used over and over again. In fact, this is a crazy thing. In fact, say meno. Meno, that means that's the Greek for remain. Abide, stay, continue, right? Linger, right? It's such a beautiful word, meno. And what's heavy about this is the word abide, translated from meno, is used 10 times by Jesus. You think he's trying to tell us something about bearing fruit, guys? Think about it. Focus today, man. Think about this, man. Why? 10 times in the space of seven verses. For four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, in those seven verses, you read the word abide seven, or 10 times. Wow. Jesus doesn't usually repeat. I don't know if he repeats any word so often in his, in his teaching. But he wants to teach us something. Verse 4, abide in me, abide in the vine, you abide in me. That's three times in one verse. Verse 5, he who abides in me. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Verse 9, abide in my love. Verse 10, abide in my love, abide in his love. You know, and actually it's actually 10 times in six verses. But if you count from 4 to 11 in that span of seven verses, you have it 10 times, I'm sorry, in, the, in, in, in that seven seven verses long. It's amazing. So we need to abide. What does it mean? What does it mean to meno? What does it mean? Abide. What's some other synonyms? Stay, remain, continue. We need to continue in Jesus if we're going to have fruit that lasts. You know, uh, we need to stay connected to him if we're not connected to him as a branch, is connected to a vine, we will not bear fruit, okay? Just as if my voice is disconnected from the electricity here and the projection that I get through the amplification, some of you won't hear what I'm saying as well in the back, and definitely people won't hear me in, in, in nursery, you know, and any other place they're listening out there. You know, last week, my refrigerator, my, everything went down. Anybody suffer from the... I suffer. We don't suffer much in our country, but it feels like suffering, you know. We're so thankful, Lord. But anybody else suffer the inconvenience of, of uh, having your, the rolling blackouts and have your electricity go out a week or so ago? Anybody? Lisa, are we sure that was a blackout? Was that? Three weeks ago? Two or three weeks ago. Anybody experience that? Just, just one brother, Okay. Up, oh, two brothers, a couple of you. Okay, wow, I thought we were all alone, baby. I thought we'd have a pity party. Just kidding. <laughs> well, when that happened, it was like 12 hours long. It was from 8.30 until 8 a.m. And I was at my desk, and I was just going to read. A computer don't work. It's okay. I got plenty. I love to I buy too many books. I read all kinds. I'm always reading. And I'm like, I'm just going to read, and I'm just reading. All of a sudden, my printer starts up. When it starts up and it hasn't been on, it's like, everything's just gone. I'm like, whoa, it kind of shocked me, you know? But guess what? That's 12 hours without coldness or the cold dissipating in my refrigerator and freezer, right? And guess what? The refrigerator did not kick back on. The fan stopped working, you know, uh, for whatever reason. And the food started going bad. And what happens, guys, 
is if you're not connected to Jesus, and if you don't stay in, if you don't abide in him, your fruit rots. It starts to go bad. And that's very, very serious. Now, it's interesting because it's imperative that we stay connected to Jesus. And we read in verse 1, I am the true vine. By the way, this is the seventh of a seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He says, I am more than that, but I am in, re, you know, in regard to him declaring, I am the, the good shepherd, right? I am uh, the door. You know, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection of life. I am the light of the world, right? Here we have, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. You know those vines you see? I mean, we have Napa Valley, right? Not far from us here in California, right? Go up to another North California. It's beautiful up there. You see miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of, of these grape vineyards. It's just gorgeous. It's beautiful, you know? And uh, sometimes those, the wine from those grape vineyards is misused by people in the way God didn't intend it. Drunkenness, he forbids in the Bible. But it's beautiful. Lisa and I have been up there before. Never, we don't do, go there for wine tasting and stuff. It's just beautiful and part of the country. And it's amazing because uh, you, you, there's pictures in the vine. But those vines, as beautiful they are, they're not the true vine. Oh, Jesus used a vine. He's kind of like saying he's like that vine over there and you can kind of relate to him through that vine. No, 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 no. Jesus is the true vine. He made that vine to point to him. Do you understand? That's the crazy thing. He makes all kinds of things in this world to teach us his lessons, lessons of truth. And he's the true vine. But verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, man, now he, he, he gets, he goes to the negative point first to warn us, Right? Because if you want to bear fruit, you have to pay attention to this. Because he's telling you what you don't do and then what you do do. Do do. That sounded kind of funny. <laughs> what you should do. <laughs> Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he what? He takes away. He takes away, you know. And uh, some people don't like this message, you know, that he takes away the branch that doesn't bear fruit and they come up with all kinds of explanations because they don't want to believe that you, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be taken away and what he goes on to say is going to happen to you. So he says, oh, that just means he lifts you up from the dirt and the mire and, and picks you up and puts you higher. No, <laughs> even the translators understand. It, it, they don't typically, you don't, I don't know if see any translation says he lifts it up unless it's going to be a biased translation. In fact, I was looking at a lot of translations like the NASB, the English Standard Version, very popular versions, they both have takes away. The NIV, uh, very popular version, NLT, New Living Translation, they have cuts off, okay? That's a proper translation, cuts off, uh, takes away. It's a serious, he's being serious here. And he's letting us know because that's what happens with a lot of branches. They don't bear fruit and they get cut off. There's different times of the year in Napa Valley. They'll go to their, their vineyards and they'll start cutting off uh, all kinds of branches. Okay, that's, a, that's the job of the vine dresser. By the way, who is the vine dresser? Who's the gardener? The father, amen. Who is the vine? Jesus. Who are the branches? Christians, we are. So uh, it's interesting. I mean, he cuts off takes away branches that don't bear fruit. This is so serious. You know, a few days ago or so, I was working in the backyard and my wife was working in the backyard 
And I walked by her and I said, oh, she, I go, oh, you're pruning a tree, you know. She's pruning a fruit tree. And she's cutting off all these uh, little branches. And she goes, yeah, these are called sucklings. You know why they call them sucklings? I'm like, yeah, I've studied John 15. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I go, yeah, sucklings are the branches, you know, the, the, the sucker shoots, they call them, that don't have any fruit on them. And I said, yeah, and they suck the, uh, the nutrients away from the other branches that need to bear fruit. And they cause the fruit to not become mature or keep certain branches from even bearing fruit because they compete with those other branches and they rob those other branches of the moisture and the, and the, and the, the nutrients that would feed into the fruit. So the Lord prunes, right? And what he does is he also cuts off branches that don't bear fruit. Now this is very, very, uh, very, very serious because that's a vital job of the vine dresser. And the question is, is well, he, he cuts them off. He, he takes them away. Where does he put them? It's a good question. He answers that in verse six. So later when I go past verse six and I hit five and then I go to verse seven, don't think, oh, we passed verse six because I'm dealing with verse six right now because guess what a lot of people do do? Do do. There it is again. <laughs> I'm getting in deeper and deeper do do as we go, you know? <laughs> guess what people do? They skip verse 6 all the time because it doesn't fit in. That's not comfortable. Churches don't want to hear this. This is what we need to hear. Amen? Part of the preacher's job, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, is to goad, you know, goad the, uh, the, 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 the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's part of, hard part of the job. You've got to do it. Got to warn people. That's what love does, by the way. Well, in verse 6, he tells us what happens. If anyone does not abide, meno, Keep, remain, stay, continue in me. They don't stay in me. He is thrown away as a branch and what? Dries up. That life ceases to be there. And then what happens? And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are what? They are burned. Okay? That is serious. Okay? Especially when you look at the backdrop of Jeremiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 5. If we don't abide in him and bear fruit. Now, if you're, gonna, if you're abiding in Christ, you will bear fruit in your life. It may be little, it might be medium, it might be a lot. But you're going to bear some fruit in your life as a Christian. But if you don't, you're cut off and thrown in the fire and burned. Now, some, uh, you might even have a study Bible that says, well, really these branches were never really in him in the first place. And that's adding to the scripture. That's called Eisegesis. It doesn't say that. In fact, I'll have you know, Judas is even here at this point. It's just 11 apostles that he's warning. Okay? And I try to tell people, he warned his apostles more about hell. When Jesus said, don't fear man who can destroy the body, but fear God, God who can destroy your body and your soul in hell. He's not talking to anybody but save people. If you deny me, I'm going to deny you. He then endures the end will be saved. These warnings are to save people. Okay? And he has more warnings. Almost every one of his warnings about hell are to his own apostles. Like, wow, who would have thought? Well, that's when I read the scripture, I'm like, wow, if he's warning believers, I need to warn believers like that. That's why I warn believers like that, because I'm being consistent with my master, okay? Now, it's interesting, uh, but some will say, well, yeah, like, I'm sorry, but it's true. Chuck Swindoll, a very popular teacher, he says, the, the vine is Jesus and the branches, and I've got his little comment here in John 15, because I was talking to a man by the name of Robert Shank. Robert Shank wrote Life in the Sun amazing book, a Baptist preacher who realized, wow, you have to continue the faith. And he wrote one of the best books on the subject of abiding in Christ, or I should not really abide in Christ, that's the subject, but it's called Life in the Sun. 
how life is in Jesus. And it's a thick book. And I was really blessed by that. And I got to know him a little bit uh, just through phone talks. And he, he died some years ago. Uh, but he said, hey, Joe, have you seen he's older? Have you seen Chuck Swindoll's commentary on John 15? I'm like, no, I haven't. He goes, you got you to look at that, Joe. It's, it's really bad. I buy it. And it's like, it's like in chunks. So I only had to buy 15 through 21, I think. And, uh, and he says in there, the vines, Jesus, the branches is true, genuine Christians. He, I agree, amen. But he says, but when they're thrown in the fire, the branches aren't really thrown in the fire. It's just the work's done in the flesh. And I'm like, what? Oh, that's what Robert Shank was talking about. And I went back and looked at the text. I go, I know, I've, it says branches. Up, oh, verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them. That is not the works, it's the branches and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Okay, you don't want to, you don't want to uh, put certain texts with this text when this text is talking about one specific thing, because guess what? Our works will go through the fire too, right? And those works that stand are like, you know, works that burn up, be like wood, hay, and stubble, but works that stand, I believe that fire is, Jesus has eyes of fire and he will judge us. And those things that go through the fire of his eyes when he judges us that stand, it'll be like, it'll be like precious stones, right? Gold and silver, it's gonna be precious. But yeah, our works go through the fire. But guess what? If you're trusting Jesus and you're believing and following him right now, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, amen? So we're secure in Christ. The Bible says he that believes, present tense, continues to believe, you know, right? Abides, men is like, who, who continues to believe. He says he has passed from death to life and will not come into condemnation, amen? So if you're trusting Jesus, you just continue to trust Jesus. Abiding is continuing to sincerely trust and follow the Lord. Are you with me? Okay, but... Uh, if, you are, if you cease to trust Jesus and you're no longer believing and you start doing your own thing, you won't have fruit in your life and that fruit will begin to rot. And then eventually there won't be any fruit and the Lord will cu cut us off and they will cast us into the fire. By the way, I just want to emphasize again. He says, branches where? In me. He's talking to his apostles, number one. Number two, he says, the branches that are in me. There's two types of branches in him, those that bear fruit and those who cease to bear fruit. What does it mean to be in Christ? If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away, all things have become new. He's warning Christians because non-Christians, do you talk about non-Christian friends, how they are in Christ and how they need to remain in Christ? No, that's not how you speak about non-believers, you know? That's how you speak about believers and the life. And then, by the way, verse 3 says, which you haven't gotten to, but it says you are already clean through the word I've spoken to you. He's warning people. Judas is gone. He's warning those who have been cleansed. Amen. He's warning those who are in Christ, new creations. He's warning those who are abiding in Christ that they need to continue to remain in him. It's one of the strongest, most powerful passages against the idea that once you're saved, you could just do whatever you want. It's not what the Bible teaches. Now, it's interesting the question could arise, you know, because uh, it's, it's important for us to understand that in 1 John 5, 12, the Bible says, he that has a son has a life. He that does not have a son does not have a life. And the, this life is in the son. We have eternal life, not through some concept of what Jesus did, but through faith in the living, resurrected Christ because of what he did on the cross and faith in his atonement on the cross, the resurrection. But we're literally trusting a person. 
You can't just be here today. I love you, and that's why I talk to you today this way. You can't just be visiting here today or be coming and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, what he did for me. No, you need to be not just believing what he did. You need to be trusting him. Amen? You make sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that you're following him. Amen? It's so important that you're following the Lord Jesus Christ. It's critical uh, that that we get this, that we understand this. Uh, Because think of it this way. How did you come into this world? Knowing Jesus is, is, it means there's a vital connection between you and him spiritually, amen, to have life. How about physical life? Did you know before you entered into this world, the kingdom of this world, you were connected to somebody through your umbilical cord? Okay. Is that biblical? No, I didn't say unbiblical cord, but I said umbilical cord. (laughs) It's a tongue twister if you used to say unbiblical and you don't usually say um, umbilical, you know. But the umbilical cord, every single one of you was in your mommy, you know, growing, growing and your mom got bigger and bigger and you got bigger and bigger and, and you were growing nutrients. It was through that vital connection to your mom that you had a vital necessity. You had her blood coursing through your veins. Well, what fed your veins, right? You got your own blood eventually. It was kind of a trip, right? but her blood brought the nutrients to you. Amen? Well, guess what? It's through being connected to Jesus that we're cleansed by his blood. Amen? And it's, and it's by trusting Jesus that we are given spiritual, supernatural strength, supernatural nutrients in this world. So before you were prepared, you were being prepared for this world by being connected to your mother. And if you severed that cord prematurely, what would have happened to you? I wouldn't be talking to you today. You wouldn't be here. Amen? Well, guess what? We are connected to Jesus through faith as an umbilical cord, so to speak, or as branches into a vine. Amen? And if we get disconnected to Jesus, we cut ourselves from uh, from the source of spiritual life. Are you with me? We cut ourselves off from his blood, his sustenance, his empowerment for life. And guess what? We get aborted, so to speak, We don't enter into the kingdom. Instead of the mother's umbilical cord preparing us for this life, this life coming to Christ and being connected to him prepares us for the kingdom of God. Amen? So it's imperative that we stay attached to Jesus as the branches are to stay attached to the vine and are to abide in him. Menno, continue, follow him, and bear much fruit. Are you still with me? Now, it's interesting because if we don't abide, well, there's an interesting, I always tripped out because you have John 15, 6, and then you also have Ezekiel 15, 6. Listen to Ezekiel 15, 6. Again, a judgment on God's vineyard. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as wood of the a vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many of them were judged. There was a remnant. God always had a remnant, but many of them were judged because like a vine, if it doesn't have fruit, it's useless. You know, you, how many build furniture out of a grapevine? You ever, anybody have a really good sofa that's made out of grapevines? Me either. I don't. Because that's not what you build. It's useless if it's not bearing fruit. And it's only good for the fire. That's the picture God gives us here. So the question is, you know, when it says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away 
as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And by the way, let me put to rest forever the idea that, oh, maybe it's just their works that are burned up. That's a lie. Because you know what John says in 2 John? He says, whoever does not abide in Christ does not have God. It's clear. Doesn't say you just lose your rewards there. It's in 2 John. If you don't abide in him, you don't have him. Okay. Now what if I was abiding Job, but I got away from him? And I fell, fell short, and I, who hasn't fallen short, amen? Well, actually, I backslid. Well, the prodigal son came back, and when he came back, what happened? He said, my son was dead, but now he's what? Alive again, amen? You need to come back and be reattached to the vine. So when it says they, notice in verse 6, and they, the middle of verse 6, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned who is it that's gathering them together? Who is it that's gathering these? I believe it's the angels of God that gather the branches, so to speak, or the apostate believers and throw them in the fire. In fact, Jesus talked about in Matthew 13, 41, just regarding that judgment. This is, speaks of a different group of people. That, uh, but he says, the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all summing blocks and those who commit lawlessness and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. How will we shine forth as the sun? Because we're going to be in the presence of the father and the son, reflecting his light in New Jerusalem forever and ever. Oh, listen to this. Revelation 20, 15, the great white throne judgment. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's, that's serious stuff, guys. That's serious, serious Serious stuff. Now let's look at the second part of verse two because I want to spend most of our time on bearing fruit, on what we are to do. Uh, every branch, verse two, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But then he says, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may what? Bear more fruit. Praise God. God wants you to bear fruit, but he doesn't want you to just bear a little bit of fruit. He wants you to bear more fruit in your life. Amen? Amen. He doesn't want you, he wants you to grow. I love what Jesus said in one of the churches in the book of Revelation, chapter two and three, he says, he, 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 he said something, he commended them because their latter works were greater than their early works, he said. May we be, all of us say that, wow, the second part, of my, but the last chapters of my Christian life and my walk with Jesus were stronger than my first chapters. Unfortunately, that's not said with a lot of people. A lot of people, they're on fire, they're excited, and then all of a sudden, the cares and the fears of this world encroach upon them and they bear less and less fruit, and it's heartbreaking, you know? I encourage people that have had marriage struggles that, man, I say often to them, you need to make sure the last chapters of your marriage are better than the first chapters, and you can decide to do that, amen? And I encourage them to, and then you can have, be forgiven and, and forget the past chapters where there's ugliness and learn from those things and be stronger. What well, should be true with our first love with Jesus, amen? We should grow stronger and stronger. But I love the fact that he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Verse two. Now this is important because he cuts off the, the sucker shoots, you know? He, by the way, it's kind of interesting. You know where sucker shoots often grow? Here'll be a branch that's bearing fruit. A sucker shoot will be right in between the branch and the, the stem and, and the stalk. When you, if you look at a lot of plants, you'll see the sucker shoot, and that's how it happens with the vine, is a sucker shoot will come right out between the branch, right, and the vine, and it will suck the nutrients from that 
scratch and compete with it. Hence verse 3, look at verse 3. You're already clean because the word which I've spoken to you. They would clean. You have to clean vines to a degree to get greatest productivity because within that, that, that wedge, that, that area between the sucker shoot and the branch attached to the vine, all kinds of debris and sediments and, and leaves and dirt collects, inhibiting uh, even more that, suck, that branch from bearing fruit. But thankfully, God himself is the gardener, amen? He washes us with the blood of Jesus. He washes us with the water and cleanses and powers us with the, power, with the power of his Holy Spirit, amen? As we submit to him and as we seek his face and abide in him, he does these wonderful things, and, but, and he prunes us. He cuts those sucker shoots away from us. And what's sad is a lot of people are like, no, do not remove this from me. And uh, they don't like being pruned, you know? Pruning is amazing, though, how much fruit it bears. If you don't prune a, a, a plant or a tree, uh, it inhibits its growth radically to where, I mean, you could have a very luscious, fruit-bearing tree, big, beautiful, sweet, yummy fruit, and all of a sudden, just let it go to pot, and all these other leaves, these branches come out, and they start sucking. All of a sudden, it becomes a fruitless tree, you know? And uh, in fact, it's interesting because a lot of the pruning that needs to happen is a lot of those sucker shoots are coming out and branches that don't bear fruit are inhibiting the rest of the tree from receiving light, the other branches and so forth, you know, and keeping it from greater sunshine, the greater foliage from receiving the greater sunshine. And guess what, man? When we aren't right with Jesus or we have suckers in our lives, how many of you have a bunch of suckers in your life, a bunch of sucker shoots in your life? Guess what happens? They block the sunshine, the S-O-N shine, right? And they, and they compete and take our time and our nutrients that spiritually we could grow with. And you gotta be careful. God wants you to look at your life. He wants you to value your life and say, what kind of sucker shoots are, who, what kind of suckers have I allowed in my life? You know, hey, when my kids are growing up and now, you know, and uh, I watched, who are you hanging out with? Who are you befriending? I don't want them hanging out with some sucker that just rips them off and deprives them of nutrients and steers them away from Jesus and have them, you know, not bearing any fruit in their lives, you know? Well, guess how do you think the Father feels about us? Our Father, we're his kids, amen? And he wants to remove the sucker shoots from us because he cares, from him, cares for us very, very deeply. Now, it's interesting because... Uh, in the parable of the sower, Jesus says this of the four soils. Each soil represents a heart. Each soil represents a different heart. We read in Matthew 13, verse 7, and then in verse 22 of one soil, others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Talking about the seeds. The seed is the word of God, and, and, and the plants are a picture of, of new life in Christ. And then he goes, and he speaks of that. He says, and the one whom the seed was sown among thorns, this man is a man who hears the word and the worries of the world and deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. You can become unfruitful. And, and Jesus uses the picture here and describes this as the worries of this world. Don't like the worries of the world freak you out, man. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, man. Peter's walking on water, takes his eyes off of Jesus, starts to sink. That's when we start to sink. Okay, and when we start to sink, we don't latch on to Jesus. We don't abide in him. And Peter, as he started to sink, he did. He turned back to Jesus. Jesus grabbed him, pulled him up so he didn't totally sink. And then he walked, you know. 
And it says, also it says, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth, right? Deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the things of this world system can choke out the word, you know? Uh, the, the desires for wealth. How many countless, probably if not hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of professing Christians through the years were led astray. They don't go to church anymore on Sunday because they're too busy because they want to, you know, not, not about making them, and we got to make the ends meet, but we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll do that, amen? But they start working that extra Sunday, and they're not in fellowship anymore because they want to get the boat, you know? They want to, they, they want to, you know, they want to keep up with the Joneses or whatever, and they sacrifice their eternity. They sacrifice their spiritual life for the things of this world, and it ought not be that way. And what happens is we allow things in our life, just like that sucker, those sucker shoots that siphon off the energy and the nutrients and the moisture that the, and the sap that, that the branches need to produce fruit. So we allow things in our lives to siphon away our time, our talent, our energy, our spiritual nutrients, our treasure, and it's no longer given to God, but it's given for the things of this world. Sucker shoots are, now this is what sucker shoots are in your life. People, places, things, and activities that cause you to lose your fire for Jesus, man. Think about your own life right now. Sucker shoots are persons, places, things and activities that cause you to lose your fire for Jesus, that cause you to become disinterested and not excited about his word anymore and worshiping him and praising him and fellowshipping with his people and, and serving him and being a witness. When you start to lose that, what things have come into your life that are causing you to become more and more fruitless? Sucker shoots are also people, places, things, and activities that you run to to fill you up when you start feeling empty, when you start feeling depressed. Because when you put persons, you know, people, places, things, and activities before Jesus, it's inevitable that you will start to feel empty and depressed. And then a lot of people, instead of realizing, what have I done? I'm drinking from what the Bible calls the Lord says he comes against them in Jeremiah because he says, you have no longer sought me, the fountain of living water, but you have gone after broken cisterns, wells that cannot hold water. And that's what happens with many professing Christians. They go to persons, places, things, and activities that aren't the water of life, and they seek to be satisfied with them, and they put more and more of those things in their system, and they never satisfy. And backslidden and apostate Christians are the most depressed people in the world, and don't let that happen to you. If that happens to you, simply repent. The prodigal son, it says he came to a point in his life where he turned, you know, he repented. He realized, wow, what am I doing? I'm eating with the swine. The swine were unclean, and that's who he's eating, he's eating with, you know. And that's what happens, you know. People turn to things like alcohol, you know. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery or lasciviousness or licentiousness but be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? If we abide in Christ, we get filled with his Holy Spirit, amen? If we don't abide in Christ, it's bad news. We get empty, and then it becomes this vicious circle of trying to satisfy yourself, and, and that's just not right. It doesn't, doesn't work. Uh, so we need to guard ourselves from the things of this world, you know? If we fill ourselves with secular music that glorifies illicit sex and illicit drugs and, and, and violence and things of that nature, 
No wonder you're depressed and not, don't have the fullness of God's joy. That grieves the Spirit of God. No wonder you don't have an appetite for music that praises and glorifies and exalts the Lord, you know? So I encourage you, for your own sake, because I love you, is seek those things which are above and those things that glorify the Lord. Amen? I say this for your own good, you know? One gal I was talking to you a while back, she said, yeah, I was having the hardest time in my walk, and she wasn't talking to me. I was doing a presentation. They sold their souls for rock and roll. Hope Chapel, Hermosa Beach. We're, we're blessed at Hope Chapel, though. Just kidding. A guy that went to Hermosa Beach says, but you guys are blessed at Hope Chapel. I go, he's funny. That was Greg, because he's coming here at that time. But he was telling me, he, or she was telling me, she goes, you know what? And that was when I, I don't think I did a presentation there yet, but showed the conviction of the pastor. And he asked her what she does in her life. And she says, I just, she listens to a lot of secular music. And he said, you know what? Why don't you start glorifying God with your music and singing praises to him and listening to music that glorifies the Lord? And she said she started doing that. Her name's Elaine, you know, neat sister. And she told me, Joe, that point in my life, my, my walk with Jesus just changed because I wasn't being bombarded by that music anymore. But I was lifting up praises to God. And all of a sudden, my, my walk just became beautiful, you know. That blessed my heart to hear that, you know. So it's important that we, the Lord wants to prune things from our lives, you know. And take things out that keep us from growing the way he wants us to grow, you know. And I'm not telling you where exactly to draw lines. That's going to be between you and God, okay. I'm not saying every band that's not Christian has a demon behind it either. I don't know. But we show many that are. Can't refute that, right? So uh, just check. But, but, try, try to, but draw lines to where in your conscience you feel like you're really seeking God with your music. Amen? And you're glorifying him. Amen? That's important. And, and that you're not getting drunk and, and that you're not hanging out with the wrong people. How can you bear fruit if you're never around other Christians? You know, the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. In fact, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this, and I think this is powerful. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. It's talking about a branch that holds tightly, right? To the vine. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate. Listen to this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Think about what he's saying there, guys. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We're not just, so first of all, we're not supposed to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. He says this, he says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together as some people do, or as is the habit of some in another translation, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So, and we're far closer to his second coming than they were in those days, Amen. How much more should we be getting? He's saying get together even more. I see the day of Christ drawing near. But you know what he says, and I love this, to stimulate one another to love and good works. But he says, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Or let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. I want to ask you some, something, and I'm just saying this to encourage you. Are you motivating other people, other Christians, to love and good works? You encourage them to walk in love and do things that glorify God? That's, this isn't written to pastors. This is written to Christians. And not just, not, it's not just a question, are you doing that, brothers and sisters? He says, look, listen, let us think of ways to do it, ways to motivate them to love and good works. So that means you and I need to be thinking, how can I motivate other people to love God more? If you're a Sunday school teacher, that's one. Become a Sunday school teacher with the children. And if you're a Sunday school teacher, be a good one, man. 
Don't just say, oh, I got to get my less together. I got, I got the church going to start. I haven't looked at it yet. No, man, you got all week. Well, no, Joe, I had jury duty. I had this. Oh, okay, I understand now. Okay. But that's typically not the problem, right? Typically you have time. So sit down before the Lord and say, Lord, how can I share this with the young people? How can I share this with my own kids? Whatever truth you're sharing. How can I share with my friend? What text could I send to my friend to encourage him or her? Amen. To, and, and how can I motivate them to love and good deeds? Not to just send a verse off and just go, but prayerfully, Lord, what can I send? What can I say? You know, you got a, you got a, a service coming up with kids and you're teaching them. Say, Lord, how can I illustrate this? Ponder it, think about it, and pray about it. Turn it over before the Lord, and it'll put things on your heart. But we need to be doing that with each other, amen? That's what, that you're going to bear fruit that way, by the way. That's how you bear fruit. You're holding tightly to the Lord, right? And then you're saying, hey, how can I motivate people to love and good works? You could do that by being an example, living for Jesus. Just abiding Christ and living for Jesus goes a long way in motivating other people. Amen? That's exciting. Just be a, be a Christian. Be a sincere Christian. And just by following Jesus, you're going to start bearing fruit. And then go out of your way to be a blessing and encouragement to others. Amen? Now, this is very important because we need to spend time in fellowship. Not forsaking or neglecting the meeting together, it says. By the way, we have a meeting midweek. Now, if you can't make it, I understand because maybe you've got jury duty late at night or something. I don't know. Just kidding. I know you don't. But we're here. And you know what? You don't just come here to get the word. You come here to build other people up. Did you hear what I'm saying? You don't come here just to get the word, and that's encouraging because we preach the word strong here, and you get built up, and you get strengthened. But you're also here to encourage yourself. And one of the things I love about this fellowship so much, Lord, may it never go away, as I love, man, after the service, it's almost like everybody hangs out. You don't have to hang out. Not everybody hangs out all the time because you got to go sometimes, you know. I know I got to leave not too long afterwards, but I try to always hang out. And guess what? We hang out and they're ministering to one another. And you know what? A lot of people, I know they're not saying, I've got to hang out for a little while afterwards. I have to because I have to. No, I love it because you just, you're abiding in Christ. You love Jesus. You just want to encourage others and you want to be encouraged. You want to love your brothers and sisters. Amen. That's beautiful. But there also should be a sense of obligation. Hey, you know, I need to encourage this sister. Ah, that brother, I haven't seen him for a while. See how he's doing. Hey, bro, love you, man. How you doing or what have you. And you can't leave that all up to an elder or the elders or a pastor because we're constantly juggling a thousand and one things. We're all the body of Christ. Amen. We all need to be reaching out one to another. Now, it's interesting because you will not bear fruit if you try to be a Lone Ranger Christian. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, it says, now in the morning when he was returning to the city, speaking of Jesus, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree, seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Wow. That's the only time we ever see Jesus in his earthly ministry using his miraculous power to destroy something. But he did this because the fig tree, this is right before judgment on Israel is going to come. He's going to be crucified. And He's saying this, the, 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 not the remnant. There was always a remnant of Israel, right? But those who rejected him as Messiah. 70 AD, man, that city was going to be torched. Jerusalem was torched by Titus. Now, he's pronouncing judgment. And... But you know, why wasn't it bearing fruit? Why? Well, you could say the certain time of the year, but even that time of the year, you'd have little tiny figs. Certain type of fig. But you know what? The key is in the text. 
It was a lone fig tree. A lone fig tree. You know, something about trees. Uh, do you know if you get a tree, just get one fruit tree? Guess what you're not going to find on it, usually? <laughs> fruit. Because there's male and female trees. You need two trees or more. You need another tree. And they were rejecting the tree of life, Jesus and his message and the cross that he died on for them. And they could never be pollinated. We need to make sure we are cross-pollinating. That we're not lone ranger Christians. You don't bear fruit all alone. First and foremost, you need to cross-pollinate with Jesus who died on the cross for us. Amen? Who paid for our sins. Amen? That's, we need to cross-pollinate. If we reject the tree that Jesus died on, we will never bear fruit. Amen? But if we try to be lone ranger Christians and we think we're too good for other Christians and I'm just a special guy or something and I don't need other believers, well, what kind of heart is that, by the way? Don't you care for other believers that need to be encouraged by you? And God, God's spirit grieves because he wants to use you. And I know some of you, we got many, many people by way of live stream where you're like, man, I can't find a good church here where I'm at, you know? Well, that doesn't mean you can't try to encourage other believers. That doesn't mean you can't encourage other believers that you run into, that you know, and that you shouldn't be, you should be seeking fellowship. We have a beautiful live stream community of brothers and sisters that are constantly encouraging each other in, in the Lord. Keep that up. That's good. If you haven't been doing that, hop in, man. Get to know people. Encourage people in the Lord. The Lord wants to use you. He wants to bear fruit through you. Amen. So, um, we're having, as Chad said, we're having a great time on Wednesday nights. Oh, guess what? We're going through, now we're in a scripture. We're going through chapter two, and now it talks about lifting up holy hands in prayer. As you're going to see, prayer is a critical point in bearing fruit for the Lord's glory. P prayer, you know. But he says lifting up holy hands in prayer. When you lift your hands, it talks about being rooted and grounded in his love through prayer. Paul prays that the church will be rooted and grounded in his love. That's one thing he wants us to bear, the fruit of love. Amen? And why does he command us to lift our hands? Man, when I lift my hands, I look at a lot of things. Surrender, right? I surrender you, Lord, right? But I also look at, man, these are my roots, man, going upward into his his power into who he is, amen, and, and saying yes, Lord, and receiving from him. And we grow through prayer, and we grow through being rooted in him through prayer, amen? So it's important that we pray. And Jesus comes to that tree, you guys, and guess what? He's looking at that tree, and that tree is a hypocrite tree. Why do I say that? What did Adam and Eve do when they were in rebellion to God? They covered themselves with fig leaves, no fruit. They're hiding their lack of fruit. With fig leaves. And that's religion, man. That's what a lot of people do. They hide behind religion. Oh, I go to church. Is there fruit in your life? Jesus came looking for fruit, not for leaves. And there was no fruit on that tree. And when Jesus comes to us, he looks for what? Not leaves, not religiosity. He looks for fruit in your life. Amen? And what is he finding? I hope he's finding fruit. Well, wait, I want a fruit. Just abide in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Follow Jesus. Amen. Then he gives, makes it real clear what we're to do. Verse 3, we're already talking about being clean through him. Then look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Wow. A relationship with Jesus, an intimate relationship. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot bear fruit. It's impossible to bear fruit apart from Jesus. But through God, through Christ, I quote all the time, Apart from me, Jesus said you could do nothing but what? Through Christ we could do what? All things, Paul said. Amen. So we need to be attached to Jesus, you know? Anybody have a grapevine in their backyard? Raise your hand if you do. Praise the Lord. All right. Praise, praise God. We got one grapevine. Is there any other grapevines? 
a second great find is a third I found like an auctioneer now real quick, but I'm trying to go fast. <laughs> is it, we got a few, two or three grapevines. Now, hey, if you guys went and said, man, I'm tired of going out and picking grapes, it's grapes, grape season, and, but man, I've got to go out and pick them. I'm just going to break the branch off and bring it in. And every morning I'll have grapes right on my table. Would that work? No, because that branch cannot break, bear fruit apart from the vine. And same thing, you are not going to bear fruit apart from Jesus. You need to be seeking him. You need to be trusting him. You need to be living for him. Amen. And you'll bear much fruit. But you know, there's a huge key right here, guys. He's the vine, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It went from some fruit to more fruit to now much fruit. Notice the growth there. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He reiterates it. Verse 6. And we've already looked at verse 6. You don't abide, you'll be thrown in the fire and burn. Verse 7 now. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wow. This is the key, guys. You abide in Jesus and you abide in his word and his word abides in you. Amen. And then you'll ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's like, wow. Now the word faith teachers take this out of, out of context. I confess and they'll actually command God. I've got quotes from some of their main teachers saying, you can command God like he's some kind of genie. You know, bellhop, that is blasphemy. You do not command God. You fear him and tremble before his presence and be thankful that he, by his grace, saved you and be thankful for the riches of his mercy that he's had upon you and that he loves you and wants a relationship with you. But guess what? The prosperity teachers, the health and wealth gospel, these guys that are name it and claim it, blab it and grab it crowd, you know, they're talking about God wants you to have a huge mansion. You know, he wants to have you have a fleet of jets. He wants you to confess it. No, guess what? Well, it says right here, ask whatever you wish and he will be done for you. Ah, you're leaving out the first part. If you abide in me, in my words, what? Abide in you. That means if Jesus' words are abiding in me and I'm abiding in his word, amen, I'm not gonna be asking for a fleet of jets. But wait, what if you're involved in missions and you want to send missions everywhere and you got this big ministry and, well, you might say, hey, God, if it's your will that I have a fleet of jets to send missionaries all over, I'm not saying you can't ask for his will to be done. If God may, but I don't think that's me, and I don't think that's the average person that we need a fleet of jets, amen? I know it's not me, okay? <laughs> uh, so what you have to do, the key in abiding is making sure you're in the word, making sure that his word is in you, amen, and that you are studying. That means you need to be studying the word. That means you need to be reading the word. The Bible says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? And then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then you bear fruit. So you stay in his word. How many of you are staying in his word, man? There's a lot of ways you can stay in his word. I love to memorize scripture. I'm memorizing scripture every day because I need to. It's a, it helps me abide in Christ. And it's good for me. It helps me grow. It helps me be a better, a, a better child to my father. It helps me be a better husband to my wife. It helps me be a better father to my kids and grandfather. It helps me be a better uh, pastor to the flock. But guess what? You can also meditate on his word. Amen? Meditate on it day and night. We'll talk about that another time, uh, part three of this message. Guess what? You need to, uh, you can, you know, get your screensaver, man, and put a scripture up on your screensaver. Maybe one that rotates, amen? Plaques, a calendar. I have a calendar next to me, and every month it switches to a new scripture. Everywhere, I have scriptures I bring with me at times. When I go hiking, or I go walking, or if I go biking, whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to have scripture with me. I'm talking about scripture constantly with people. Oh, well, you're a pastor. I was doing that long before I was a pastor. After I became a Christian, I saturated my life with the word of God so I would be fruitful, amen? 
abide in his word, then whatever you ask, you will receive. Amen? When you ask according to his will, of course, because you're going to be asking in accordance with his word. I'm glad there's a part three. Okay. Are we being encouraged at all? Are we being goaded a little bit? That's because I love you. Lord goads me. But if you are trusting Jesus, there's fruit in your life. Even the simplest little things you do for Jesus. I'm, I said last time, Jesus says, if you give somebody a cold glass of water in my name, you shall not lose your reward. Amen. There's all kinds of ways that you're bearing fruit that you might not even consider, you might consider it significant, but the Lord considers it very significant because it's fruit that causes his heart to rejoice. And it's just us simply being what he's made us to be. Just like a baby was designed to be connected to its mother through the umbilical cord, umbilical cord, now I'm doing it, you know, through the umbilical cord. So we've been designed by God to be supernaturally connected to Jesus through faith as branches to a vine, amen? And it's not like you're like, man, I gotta be this branch, I gotta try to do all these things or else. No, it's not like that. Do branches sweat when they're connected to the vine? Like, oh no, you don't have to freak out. Just hang in there. Hanging in there, that's another definition of meno, okay? I don't know if I could find that in the first century, but hanging in there, you know? Branches tend to hang into the vines, amen? You hang in there with Jesus, amen? You just stick to Jesus. You keep loving him, keep seeking him, stay in his word, and then pray. Did you see, what, do you see these two things? I, wanted, I don't want you to leave without thinking of these things. Pray and obey. Pray and obey. Obey what? His word. We just read Satan's word. Because later on, you're going to see, he's going to talk about obeying him. It's part of how you bide and bear fruit. You have to be, obey his word. You can't just know his word, but you have to obey his word. And then you pray, and then you bear fruit. So if you are a Christian who's obedient to Jesus, and you're seeking him, guess what? You'll bear much fruit to his glory. Amen? I'm so looking forward to the, uh, part three. And then we'll, we'll just stop at part three and have a third. Is this an important series? Very, very important for our walks, amen? I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for myself as well because I'm growing and being stretched and strengthened, getting more and more excited about Jesus. We love you guys, you know? But guess what? None of us are perfect. None of us are close to perfect. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast away, amen? So I don't care who you are, what you've been through, whoever comes to him will not be cast away, amen? If you're walking with Jesus, you're good. If you haven't been walking with Jesus, but you're coming back to him today, like the prodigal son, my son was lost, but now he's found. My son was dead, but now he's alive. And the father ran to him, weeping, just holding him. So glad to have, that's the father's heart toward you. Amen. The only way you don't make it, he says, what more could I have done than I've done? Amen. The only way you don't make it is by not coming back to the father. But you're saved by grace through faith. But if you're truly saved, there's going to be evidence of that in your life. And I bet you, if you've been following for Christ from some time, I bet people could say, that brother or that sister's done some, that has been, is, there's, I've seen this in that person's life and that in that person's life, and I know they seek to bless people and so forth. And, and God doesn't dismiss that. God's like, you're glorifying me. And then he goes on to talk about how our joy is made full in the verses that are coming up. We have full joy when we abide in Christ. I've never met anybody who said, I don't want to be joyful. I don't want to be happy. We all want joy in the Lord. Amen. Can we all stand, please? Can we please pass?